You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. Uh, Don't interrupt me, would you? I'm Say, Mickey, what you're reading there. When the new cars issue of Consumer Reports comes out, I just stop everything and read it. So oh. uh, don't bother me for the next hour, okay? The next hour, sure. I can I can take it from here, Mickey. Yeah, no, I hear you. you're you're all prepared and everything. Yeah, I'm just I'm, talk I'm, just talk about Gaza. You know, you can do that. I know what I'll talk about. Normally, Mickey has a visual gag. I have a visual gag. It's oh, right, that gag. is a visual gag. Okay, then I'll hold mine in reserve. But I have a visual <laughs> gag this week. Oh, uh, Mickey, uh, elaborate on your visual gag. You're reading a magazine about cars. Well. Uh, Ford introduced its electric F-150 this week. Right. Joe Biden took a test drive. It's a very important product because it's the best-selling vehicle in America. They sell like 800,000 of them, 900,000, mm-hmm. way above anything else. Like 400,000 is considered a bestseller, but they sell 900,000 of this thing. If you drive mm-hmm. across the country, you see nothing but F-150s. And – uh you know, we hope it succeeds because we want to have a viable electric future. But the problem is, if you read Consumer Reports, Ford's recent products have been crappy. Uh, here's the they 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 stopped making cars to concentrate on SUVs. Mm-hmm. Their big new SUV was the Ford Explorer. Here's the Consumer Reports rating: uh, much worse than average. Uh, minor engine is a problem. Major transmission problems, minor transmission problems, drive system problems, paint trim problems, body hardware problems, power equipment problems, and in-car electronics problems. It's weird. When I started writing about Ford like a decade ago, I got this note from an, somebody who had worked at Ford saying I was praising Ford, right, saying how great it was. They had this quality advantage over everybody else. And he said, no, the in-house system is totally screwed up. Some, something something to do with the product development process. It's where you take the design and you, you sort of make it work, make sure everything works together, make sure everything fits. Uh, that was somehow screwed up in a way that was producing, uh, saying, yes, this car is ready to go when it's not ready to go. And obviously they haven't fixed that. I mean, these are the, the Escape, which is their other big new offering, also has big problems. So uh, I'm worried that the... Our electronic future is is but imperiled. Mickey, you've forgotten about their ace in the hole. This is yeah. a truck that has a trunk, a frunk, a frunk. It has a trunk in the front where the ordinarily the, uh, the I think the engine think would be. My impression is that people who drive the F one hundred and fifty have plenty of places to store their stuff. Uh, so, uh, I don't, what does that mean? Why, why do you smile when you say that? Is that insider info? No. About the- Bob, I've been out in middle America. I got stuck for a week in Pecos, Pecos, Pecos. Pecos. You'd know how to pronounce Pecos. it if you really, if you really, uh. Two weeks, I would have known how to pronounce it. But do you Pecos. know what Pecos is famous for? And you only know this because I told you probably. Do you know what Pecos is famous the, for? It was the site of the first rodeo. Oh my God. I give it's up. It's true. I give up. That's the. That's it. That's the end of conversation. You did tell me, but I forgot. The correct answer is cantaloupes. Oh, okay. If right. you're in West Texas, there's no cantaloupe you'd rather have yeah. than a Pecos cantaloupe, okay. Mickey. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, these are uh, my. People. They also have a lot of pickup trucks and filled with burly oil workers who have, don't seem to have any problem figuring out where to stash their stuff. So 
Okay, I, so I the just, front won't do it. And and you, but do we know yet? Is it a good electric the the electric car part? Is that good? I don't. Nobody knows. Uh, it's way too early to tell. The 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 the, the plus side is uh, electric cars are inherently seem to be more reliable than uh, gasoline cars. There are fewer moving parts. You know, the technology is just simpler. And, uh, you know, it would have to be a Herculean effort for Ford to fuck up this car. But uh, I'm not sure they're not up to it. Meanwhile, that they have competitors. Us- they're competitors. I saw a Rivian on the street. Beautiful looking car. What's a Rivian? Rivian is a startup competitor in the pickup market. In the electric pickup or just regular Yeah, pickup? it's actually funded by Ford, but it's electric pickup. Yeah, when is the electric. Tesla electric pickup going to come out? Have they finally fixed it so you can throw a steel ball at the window and it won't break? <laughs> they, I don't know. They have a... Um, uh, it seems too radical to sell to the people who buy pickup I trucks. wondered about that. It's like, uh, do you want to be seen driving that thing? Like, you know, if you're one of the people who wants to be seen driving a pickup truck, do you want to be seen fly, driving well, a there's UFO? Well, there's certainly people who want to be seen driving that thing. They're just not the same people who currently buy Pickups. Ford F-150 pickup trucks. Right. So, and uh, you know, it's, I, 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 I would think they would come out with another model for people who uh, – you know, for people who want a more ordinary looking truck. And there, there's a, there, there, there are four or five competitors and Chevrolet will have one soon. Uh, so, uh, it's, you know, the Chevrolet Bolt, which is the car I'm thinking of getting is very reliable. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's made a, based on a powertrain made in well, North wait, Korea. We already have an example of a Ford Electric, a couple of them, but the, the Mustang, the new Mustang, how's that performing engine wise? We don't know yet. Too we early don't? to tell. Too early to tell. Yeah. Um, they look cool, but it's too early to tell. Now, anyway, you heard, the, the Chevy Bolt proves that it can be done. You heard what Elon Musk is doing for the environment now, aside from making electric cars, right? Abandoning Bitcoin. Abandoning Bitcoin. You know what I heard? That uh, Bitcoin consumes one half of 1% of the world's electricity. Could that be true? I mean, one half of 1% sounds like not a very big number, but when you're talking about all the world's electricity and this Bitcoin thing that, so far as I can tell, is only good as like, A, a speculative asset, of which we already had plenty, gold was working as a speculative asset, and B, as something for, you know, like these cyber ransom people to use who want to take down or who threaten to take down our power grids. By the way... Not to go on tangent after tangent, did you hear that? It turns out that these dark side people, they did not get inside the power grid part. It it was, for all we know, it was a bluff. I I mean, they got inside the computers of, like, the the, the people who have a power grid, but there was no evidence at all that they had the power to take down the grid. Or there there was a few, I mean, the fuel thing, the fuel thing. Why they, did they, they cave? It's just that five million dollars is so little money. They said, "Fuck it, we'll just yeah, pay them." Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, they they said, "Who?" Kn-? I guess they figured, "Who knows?" But there's no evidence that they would have had the power. The criminals would have had the power to shut down that pipeline. They just shut it down out of caution. The company did. Uh, uh, interesting. Uh, I did. I, I don't know. I I read an early thing by Mark Andreessen about Bitcoin. I, I read that. He claimed it was going to enable micropayments that were going to keep us afloat. And it had some supposed efficiency, some transaction cost efficiency. But so far, I mean, let's face it, almost nobody is using it as a legitimate currency, right? Um, 
And why would you if, if its value they, swings that wildly? Who wants to put it in your pocket? Every government in the world is saying we're thinking of starting our own cryptocurrency. I wonder if that'll die down now. Well, there are a number of those, and some of them are designed to be stable and not fluctuate in value. Bitcoin is not – there must be other ways to mine things that don't involve consuming half of 1% of the world's electricity. I don't think it's just the mining. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not an expert. But remember, there's this incredibly cumbersome-seeming record-keeping dimension of it where, like, if you are part of the Bitcoin network – you keep a record of every transaction ever performed anywhere by anyone on the network. So something like that. It does seem it does seem it quite seems, cumbersome. Yeah. And uh so I don't know. Now they claim that they're going to get over the environment. There there are these things they can do to make it more e- eco-friendly, but I'm I'm waiting I'm waiting to hear what those are. Um, uh, or I mean, well, wake, wake me up when they actually happen. They can I'm tell glad you that all my friends made are. money on Bitcoin while it was still possible. Do you have somebody who got rich on, on Bitcoin? There's somebody on fa- on Instagram who posted a picture of a Kia and said, "This is the Kia that Bitcoin bought." So they got a Kia. Some um, people have a ton of wealth, nothing. but they've lost their passwords, and then you're just out of luck. It's not like they can email it to you. It's like you're just out of luck. Yeah. Right? I guess I guess this person uh, remembered her password. In time to pay the Kia dealer. Uh, so, Mickey, anyway, so, should I do my visual gag? or uh, You should do your visual gag, and we can let the viewers decide whose is better. Mine was better. pretty weak, so. See those? It's, See. it's, it's uh, other cicadas. Those are the husks that the cicadas leave behind. They're all really? over the place. Yeah. And they go and have sex and they leave the husks behind? That assumes that you are not a non-binary cicada. And there is, did you read about the non-binary cicadas? I've read about the fungus-infected cicadas who are Precisely. wild, sex, wild sex maniacs. And they're such sex maniacs that they don't care who they have sex with. Yeah, but they can't reproduce. They start out right. as males. And the, and the fungus gets them to shed their genitals and to look more like females. And, and, they, and they apparently act very horny and males, so males show up and I guess try to have sex, but all they get is, inf- is infected by the fungus. It's a metaphor for our culture, Bob. Well, actually, it's interesting. It's the right wing interpretation of our culture. <laughs> no, it is because, because see, the deal is, like you ask, why do these cicadas start to transition? And in this case, the answer is it's not that that was really something inherent in them that they're realizing the real them. No, it's this evil ex- exterior for external force from culture that's infecting them. It's the fungus, Mickey. So this is the um, right wing interpretation. The left wing people would say the cicada is just expressing the true inner cicada. See, I think they have a they have trouble with the fact that it's like half of its body is dropped off. Who has trouble me. with that, the left or the right? I would think the le- the right's explanation is more plausible. Except, aren't there a lot of well, diseases that actually perform a functional perform a function I, in terms of getting the species into the next generation? Well, first of all, let me this be would clear. Not be one of them. Let me be clear. As far as cicadas go, go the right wing interpretation is correct. I mean, right? I mean, it is <laughs> an external. It is a fungus. I'm just saying they would want to. The right would want to turn this into a metaphor. Right. Anyway, I'm the sure, answer I'm is sure it's already been turned into a metaphor. The answer is there are. It's a take. Um, 
I believe technically symbiosis just means living together, and there are both parasitic forms of symbiosis and mutualistic forms. This is parasitic. This is not good for the. I mean, the, I'm, but but I'm, but there I'm are glad, mutualistic forms. Yes, I, I'm glad this is bringing out your inner right winger because I noticed it's that not, science. No, 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 no. I'm science not, no. magazine. Science no. magazine had an editorial against Darwinism. Don't cancel which, me, bro. <laughs> I, I want to be clear. This is not – I'm just describing, A, what is happening with the cicadas. It's a fungus that gets them to do this partial transition thing. And, B, telling you how the right would like to take the cicada reality and turn it into a metaphor for how they want to interpret current American the, culture. I am I am not part of this. Do the 5% that are – that are infected with the fungus then turn around and try to cancel the other 95%? No. That is what happens. So it's yes. an inadequate, <laughs> inadequate metaphor. They, I, I've told the cicadas are disappointing, that they're like not as many of them as everybody well, expected. Well, the night is the night is young. I only started seeing them uh, about 48 hours yeah, okay. ago. And then last night it was like, uh, I mean, you should see some of the pictures I took. Yeah, uh, okay. But we don't uh, know because, see, in 2004 – I believe I recall that vividly, and back then it was like you're in a science fiction movie. I mean, some some right. some days it would be like the sound you would hear in the movie as all the spaceships were descending. Right. But I believe that 2004 happened to be a coinciding of a 17 year brood and a 14 year brood. Right. So I don't. This may disappoint us, but but the night is young. I, I'm hopeful. I'm I'm um, optimistic about how good. weird it could get. There- there, there was. The, I was going to mention there was an editorial in Science Magazine, sort of more or less denouncing Darwinism, not 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 at its core, but it did de- denounce the, uh, the the idea that female brains are different than male brains. And as oh, I recall, it? you, uh, sorry, the, the, I didn't read the thing. I thought they were just dissing. I mean, I, I guess somebody sh- I saw. There was a line at the end about how the, it, 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 you know we have to reject the idea that the female brain is different than the male brain. No, they couldn't have said that in science. Yeah, I'll I mean, they, fi- no, I mean they manifestly are different. What can I say? Um, Maybe it was written by a guy who was infected by the fungus. What I assumed was that they were uh, taking uh, taking on Darwin because of things he said about race or something. Was that part of it? There was race in his own personal history and blah, blah, blah. And he, but, but, but then at the end, he sort of generalized in a sort of very PC way. Um, well, by the way, the Darwin family was very progressive, including him, for the day. And they were crusaders against slavery and so on for, the, for their time. Well. Well, well, you could be right wing when you take on science, and you, uh, Matt Iglesias has, has defended the SATs for you, so you don't have to do that. I saw that piece. I, I, didn't I, read, I read it. Part it looked of good, it. actually. It looked good, but I had, didn't read it on, uh, his, on his Substack. Which we can, yeah, maybe we should a, discuss that in the cost of fortune. Uh, I'd have to read it. Eight dollars a month. Um, if you want Matt, the, you can um, have Bob for six dollars a month, folks. Non-zero Substack. Or Mickey, do you want to tell them the other way they can get the newsletter? The eight dollar tier on Patreon on, on the Parrot Room Patreon. Okay, okay. Um, not to mention and, the Parrot Room, of course. Anyway, the fungus is in control here, Bob. It's got it's got my brain, and all I can do it, it's there's a self promotional fungus that's infected me, Mickey. <laughs> no, it's and no it, it's good for the fungus, but so far it hasn't succeeded in making um, me any more famous. So I guess it's parasitic. Yeah. 
not well, anyway, mutualistic. On to Lynn Cheney. There's no other news this week, right? So we can talk about Lynn Cheney. There's a lot again, of news. Right? There's cancellation news. Everybody's talking about Lynn Cheney. It's cancellation news. That AP reporter or whatever fungus, she was. The fungus is in control. The um, uh, okay. The AP reporter. It's weird. It seems clear to me she shouldn't have been fired. Should uh, not have been fired. That the. I'm going to go slate pitch on you here, but go ahead. The, the pro-Israeli people were sort of ganging up on her in a way that Wait, clearly quick, must reflect quick the double background. Standard. Recent Stanford graduate, she was, you know, lefty Jewish Voice for Peace. Uh, and by the way, I mean just to uh, just to make clear, this woman has a future in in writing. She uh, referred to Sheldon Adelson. You've seen pictures of Sheldon Adelson, right? She said he was rat faced. No, no, no. You're you're really missing the key to the. You look like a naked rat vole. Now you're getting there. Have you ever? Seen, she said she called him quote a naked mole rat looking billionaire. Have you ever seen a picture of a naked mole rat? No. Okay. Well, listen. He died only <laughs> a few months ago. So tell me if this is too soon. But there is a passing resemblance. No, I don't want to put it that way. What I would say is this is an inspired hyperbolic. Yeah. Uh, denunciation of someone on on the grounds of their appearance, if you're into that kind of thing. (laughs) Anyway, she was hired to be a local reporter in Arizona and uh, then uh, this organization called Canary Mission that digs up people's anti-Israel past got onto her and AP uh, fired her or didn't hire her or unhired her. and I, I don't know. It seems it's local news. I know there used to be a three-year rule that you have to have stopped your activism three years ago, and she only has two years under her belt. At, at AP, to, if if she, yeah, they, they said if you had been an advocate or something, you had to wait three years to work for AP. Had to have a think, cooling off period. <laughs> you you sure that applies to both sides? I'm not so sure. I don't even know if it's still a policy. I just, yeah. this was this was a tweet from Ron. It, it's a silly policy. I mean, she was in college. Okay. Well, what I would I say know. is, uh, yeah, no, I mean, first of all, I think these Khmeri mission people, somebody was trying to make the case that she was anti-Semitic. I mean, first of all, she's Jewish. Uh, I, I didn't see anything that could be taken seriously as anti-Semitic. Maybe I missed something. But if AP does have strict rules about, you know, how you can express yourself on social media, and I don't know, then I guess... Uh, how do you expect yourself... You know, her big activism was 2017, so four years ago. How you expressed yourself four years ago on social media? Well, when I mean, did she do? She she actually did one tweet. I'll read it. That's about the whole that that, that questions the whole premise of AP style reporting. She doesn't mention AP, but she she wrote quote objectivity end quote feels fickle when the basic terms we use to report news implicitly stake a claim. Using Israel, but never Palestine, or war, but not siege and occupation, are personal choices. Yet media make these exact choices all the time without being flagged as biased. I don't know when. When did she do that? But, but everybody, I wrote, I wrote shit like that in college. I probably wrote shit like that last week. So what? Well, you can't work for AP. Uh, I mean, see, that was this. That was this year. That that was, that was several days ago. Maybe that was but the straw that broke the camel's back. If it, it, I mean, it, nobody at the New York Times thinks there's objectivity in journalism anymore either. I know, I mean, but that's the New York Times. AP may, you know, fashion itself as the one remaining guardian of the aspiration 
to objective reporting. Why isn't this right in your Barry Weiss wheelhouse? It's a double hey, standard. It's a wait. double standard. Anybody who says that it, maybe Israel shouldn't have been formed or shouldn't exist, they're by definition anti-Semitic and they're guilty of prejudice. Uh, as opposed to a, a misguided view of history. Time out. We're about to hear me say something kind about Barry Weiss. You don't have like a, you don't have the drums. Fungus, the fungus has got The you. fungus has got my brain. No, uh, so <laughs> Thomas Chatterton Williams, uh, uh, whom you're familiar with, I guess, tweeted something in defense of this Emily Wilder person and said she shouldn't have been fired for tweeting whatever. And Barry Weiss retweeted him defending Emily Wilder. Really? I believe that's a first because I and other people have criticized Barry Weiss and other IDW people for kind of ignoring this whole part of the speech code problem, which is to say the Israel part. But, and maybe this is a sign of changing times. We've seen a number of these signs during the whole uh, Gaza conflict, which God willing is over now. Um and uh, that's notable. Maybe it was a mistake. Maybe the fungus has her brain. Um, uh, that That's very heartening. What does your boy Peter Beinart say? Oh, well, he's, of course, defending her. I mean, the, uh, the only defense of AP would be, I think, mine, which is like if they have these explicit rules that, hey, that say, hey, we're different. You just can't be expressing intense opinions on social media and work for us. Then... Then that's the rule. But 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 there's not even anything close to a case against her on grounds of anti-Semitism that I've seen. I mean, she's very much against the birthright Israel program. She crusaded against that, which, of course, Adelson uh, funded very extensively. My 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 confession is that I I wanted to come out in her defense, but was reluctant to because it would have pissed off a whole bunch of people who might be my allies in the forthcoming welfare fight. So I held my fire and said, I'll just talk about it on uh, the right. This is the wisdom of age, Mickey. I think it's I think it's the first step to being a compromised sort of sort of fungus infected figure with only half your abdomen. uh, (laughs) It's 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 a it's a it's a it's the first step to losing your balls, basically. Let's put it that way. Uh, What you Uh, just did, the kind of compromise you just made, you mean? Saying I saying I'm not going to attack uh, the free beacon attack on this woman, even though I thought it was uh, unconvincing. Let's let's say unconvincing. Yeah. But everyone because holds the free a fire beacon, like that, except for Glenn Greenwald, and he's got more Twitter followers than anyone the else. The only so. person I know who's never held the, who did, didn't hold their fire was Charlie Peters. He had a one block rule. He wouldn't attack anybody who lives within one block of him. We might have to look at it when he left his left his house in the morning. But other than that, he was constantly attacking people who were his friends at the most inopportune times. Huh. That was also my mother's rule. But the one block rule? Look where it got her. No, she would attack her neighbors who wanted to, like, annex themselves to the city of Beverly Hills. And I said, they're your neighbors. You're going to need them. Let them annex to Beverly Hills. No, it's a bad deal for the city. What can I say? Well, you got to take issues on local politics. I alienated a neighbor who is a town council person. She's on the town council over the, uh, you know, gas-powered leaf blowers issue. Yeah. Well, that be- leaf blowers is like, that's that's worse than the Israel-Palestine conflict. That's and Around here it is. Intense emotions. Around um, here it is. Uh, well, anyway, I, 
I guess we just don't know what the AP rule was. The only the only reference I I saw was from Ron Campeas, who said he was that was the rule when he worked for AP years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, it it sounds like it's the sort of rule that would go by the boards. And as somebody who was an activist in college who wouldn't you know who wouldn't want everything I said and law school held against me. Uh, I think it's a silly rule if it's true. By the way, I just had Ron on The Right Show only yesterday, so he will be immediately below you in The Right Show podcast feed. He pronounced his name Campius, as it turns Campius? out. Campius? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, but okay. he's, a, he's a great source on uh, all things Israel and politics relevant to Israel. Yeah. Well, so let's stop ducking the major issue. I mean, my Walter Russell Mead had a pretty good, I thought, piece saying that uh, – you know the standard things that the the the, the world is now realigned with uh, on an anti-Iran axis, not an anti-Israel axis, and the U.S. has sort of withdrawn. Wait, 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 uh, I, I, wait! I'm missing this. This he's saying. Maybe he didn't say, but everybody else is saying it. That the there are some Arab states that did not oh. automatically side with the Palestinians because they are more interested in uh, having Israel support against Iran, their Shiite enemy than uh, they are in the Palestinians. The Palestinians were sort of sidelined by the uh, dynamic that produced the Abraham Accords. Uh, And and Meade may not have said that, but Meade definitely said that the U.S., since Benghazi, has sort of, everybody realized it was withdrawing from the region. And what the United States says, people don't care that much about it anymore. We don't have that much purchase in the Middle East. And my attitude is, so what? What do we care about that? Well, it may be let actively them, let them good. Their own. It may be actively good because, I mean, it's it's true on the one hand that, you know, the Arab states uh, are largely antagonistic toward Iran. But lately, my understanding is Iran and Saudi Arabia have been talking directly. And some people attribute that to their recognition that the U.S. may, may, may be uh, kind of... Uh, having less and less to do with the region, and they need to work out their own problems. Um, so it could be actively good. If the U.S. does do some withdrawing, it, it hasn't done, it's not that tangibly true that it's doing that, it seems to me. I mean, we keep talking about it and pivoting to Asia and so on, but uh, so far it seems more nominal than real. Uh But, I mean, meanwhile, in the U.S., I mean, as far as the Palestinians, look, it's true that... The rulers of uh, several Arab states, especially the ones who signed on to the Abraham Accords, uh, you know, may have felt some constraints about siding with the Palestinians. That doesn't mean they don't still have the support of, uh, you know, grassroots support in the Arab world. But the, but the interesting thing is how the politics in the U.S., according to at least some people, are changing on this issue. Well, it's weird. I... I- I have this commenter who's, he's one of my smartest trolls. He's not really a troll. He agrees with me half the time. Named Hey Little Mickey. I don't know. He, he must be a. Wait, that's his name he, on Twitter? That's his name on Twitter. He doesn't, he doesn't talk only about me. So I don't know why he's called that. Uh, but he had this theory, which is a wild conspiracy theory, which is the sort we like around here. Uh, that the reason that so many neocons turned against Trump and practically became Democrats is basically because they realized the central problem for Israel was declining support for Israel among the Democratic Party. So in the Democratic Party, which I think is the phenomenon you were talking about. And uh, so Bill Kristol is now a Democrat. 
he can be there and buck up support for Israel in his new party, the Democratic Party. Uh, and this was all sort of like a Straussian hidden move directed, I don't know by who, maybe it was thought up by themselves, but it's a crazy theory, but it sort of makes a little bit of sense now that Max Boot and Peter Barnard are both basically writing the same thing. I wouldn't say they're writing the same thing by any means. Practically, Well, Boot is just acknowledging some obvious things, like Israel was very provocative yeah. this time around okay. and did, did some things that were likely to get Hamas to launch rockets in their okay, direction. Anyway. He's, he's not calling for a one-state solution, that, for God's that's sake. That's a distraction. Um, the, the, uh, but no, I think my own theory is that 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 their their never trumpism may have been related to Israel but if so I mean I think there's a good chance of that in some cases but if so it was more of a reflexive overreaction to some vibes coming from the alt right like they thought Trump was going to turn this into an anti-Israel anti-Semitic party or something but the fact is that between donors like Sheldon Adelson and all these evangelical voters who are very pro-Israel, the chances of that were were never good. And and Trump uh, was more accommodating of Israel in ways that I think are bad for Israel in the long run, but whatever, more accommodating to Bibi Netanyahu than any president has ever been, probably. He was like, what do you want me to do next? I'll move the embassy. It's like, you just tell us. We'll, we'll, we'll cut off all the money to the Palestinians. Just, you know. In retrospect, was the embassy such a big move? Doesn't seem that way to me. Well, I think if it prejudices the the settlement of the uh, final status of Jerusalem, it will have been a big deal. On the other hand, I mean, look, final status of Jerusalem, that language seems to presuppose a two-state solution, which uh, probably there's not going to be. So uh, it's... you know, probably going to be something either more, either a more radical accommodation of the Palestinians or something very ugly, it seems like, in the long run. The, um, anyway, the point of this guy is if there, if there, if we, if we posit a conspiracy to infiltrate the Democratic Party to prevent it from splitting apart on Israel, it's basically failed, right? Hasn't, uh, isn't, uh, the conventional wisdom is that the Biden is in a fix because half his party is no longer Pro-Israel, and the polls aren't quite there. The polls are like a majority of Democrats are still pro-Israel, but there's a substantial minority that are hostile to Israel. Yeah, I don't know how real it is. I mean, there there is a small but significant number of very vocal critics of Israel, mainly in the House. Uh, and there was the famous, you know, Rashida Tlaib had a, this big uh, kind of standoff with Biden on the tarmac, I guess, reading him the right act. Biden had to know that was coming. How could he not have known that was coming? Uh, I'm not sure how good his radar is these days in, in even okay. the most mundane Well, sense. if you can't see that. <laughs> like, um, Whoever scheduled that meeting seems... Um, well, he was going to her area, and she was there, and Debbie Dingell was there, and the local Pauls were there. I mean, he wanted so, to visit Michigan. You want to visit Michigan? You see the, you see the people. Um, but... It seems to me that it's also entirely possible that it was all choreographed. Okay, Rashida, you're going to yell at me. You know, I'm going to do this and everybody's happy. Well, what I another interesting thing, I think, see, I had these two people on my show in rapid succession this week. One was Ron Campius, uh, who was, you know, he's lived in Israel, been in the Israeli army and really is a really good reporter on on the relevant politics 
Um, and before that, I had this Palestinian in the West Bank named Fadi Karan, who's a Palestinian activist. And uh, what I think is a very interesting development there in the region is how much kind of uh, um, how much more we saw of a unified Palestinian consciousness this time around than 2014. You had a you had a, a, a sympathy strike for the Palestinians in Gaza. That, that Palestinians in Israel proper, as well as the West Bank, abided by. You had uh, unrest and protest on the West Bank that didn't get much coverage, but 15 Palestinians were killed there, okay? With, what about when, the intra-civilian fighting? Well, that is, is the thing this? that we mentioned that last week, and that's the thing that's gotten the most attention probably in Israel. But I think all of this taken together... Uh, is going to force Israel to pause and reflect before it it uh, does things that might provoke well, rocket fire next time. I, and I, I personally think, you know, Biden's getting some of the credit for bringing into this thing. I personally think once you saw civil conflict in Israel uh, between Palestinians and Israeli Jews, there was no chance of a ground invasion in Gaza and there was more incentive for Bibi to wrap this up quick. I thought they didn't want to invade Gaza anyway. Well, they, they didn't they work bluffed. out so well last act, time. Well, they, well, yeah. Uh, I mean, they, they, they did, they did more damage to the, what they would call the militant infrastructure last time. But the, um, uh, the conventional wisdom is obviously that the future of Israel is a civil rights-like struggle for Palestinian rights. I think Fareed Zakaria had a column saying this. It's not so much that, uh, the Palestinians are going to be able to force anything militarily, but, uh, Israel is very subject to a, a moral pressure that they, you know, the, the whole apartheid angle that they're denying equal rights to their Palestinian citizens and um, that that's sort of the future of the battle. That would fit with what your theory, because everybody can get unified behind that, right? Well, but I think the bigger issue the Palestinians want to frame as a civil rights issue, it's not the, the Palestinian citizens of Israel I mean, they do get to vote and have, you know, basic rights due process of law, notwithstanding some structural discrimination, um, you know, more structural than you see in America. Um, but uh, it's it's the West Bank Palestinians and, and maybe ultimately the Palestinians in Gaza, but the West Bank Palestinians are ruled by Israelis, not allowed to vote, and they don't have due process of law and so on. I mean, that is – that's the transformative civil rights issue because that's – what leads logically to a one-state solution. Yeah. Fareed mentions that. He says the, the civil right to self-determination. He talks about it in rights terms. But, but and they the can't have self-determination because Israel will not give them the territory. Okay. The, um, but I assume if you become part of a country where you have a vote, your your rights to self-determination are satisfied, no? Well, I mean, in principle, you could try to exercise that. I, I mean, I should say one-state solution in, in many scenarios involves a kind of binational federation or Maybe something. Not. Yeah. Um, so isn't, is, is, is a one-state solution inevitably a disaster for Zionism? Seems that way to me. Well, again, I mean, Peter Beinert argues no, that there could be a binational federation that would uh, – that would preserve the essentials of Zionism as he sees them, I think. But, uh, you know, the Israelis fear that it would be, uh, you know, it would be genocide, right? I mean, they, they imagine that if, I mean, it, it, if you included the, the Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank, you'd have about as many Arab voters as Jewish voters. And, and 
is you know Jewish Israelis a lot of them fear that you know the worst you know the, another Holocaust like literally in some cases they fear that. Um, uh, so there, I have one more thing about this this uh, this this uh, Twitterer who 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 uh, named Hey Little Mickey who had this crazy paranoid theory. Mm-hmm. He says he used to work for you, Bob. He used to work for me. Yes. Do you know what his real name is? No. I'll leave that. I'll leave that for you to figure out. He's very smart. Well, a- everyone I hire is very smart, Mickey. Of course, by definition, it's like you have that Bob Wright dust on you. It's like you can, can get I, hired by can, any company in America. Can I say a final Israel-related thing? Yeah. This is a response to both uh, comments. Uh, critical of of me and my having lost close to 100 Twitter followers um, for tweeting a little about Israel. Um, And, you know, I don't tweet, I don't tweet that aggressively. Uh, But I think I finally realized a lot of people think that if you criticize Israel, what Israel was doing in Gaza, they think you're saying uh, Israel doesn't have a right to defend itself, or or you actually want Israel to fail to defend itself. I just want to say there are those of us who actually believe that what Israel was doing was not even good for Israel in the long run. I'm not going to say that's the only reason. I, that that was my main reason for opposing but, it. I, I don't wake up in the morning asking how Israel can best defend but, itself, but but I really believe it's counterproductive in the long but run. But suppose suppose I, I know there. Are, Actions that Israel took, cutting off the microphone at the mosque, uh, going into the mosque, I believe, uh, that are, uh, you know, denying, um, evicting people in the West Bank that are the provocation. If those provocations didn't exist and Hamas just started firing rockets at Israel, surely you think Israel could defend itself against that, right? Well, of course. I mean, they can they can defend themselves anyway. But the point is, we got to a point early on where everyone knew Hamas would be happy for the fighting to stop. Israel was the reason there wasn't a ceasefire, right? And because they feel they need to do, you know, they have, need to have the the whatever they wound up killing. You know, the ratio of deaths was twenty to one, and they need to destroy a certain amount of infrastructure, and they feel they need to actually make Hamas regret having started this. And so they have their stated reasons for continuing the fighting well past the point where Hamas would agree to a ceasefire. And that's the part that I think is counterproductive in the long run, because I just think you're creating, you're ensuring another generation of, uh, of Palestinians who will hate you. Now, I think, I, I think the, the uh, view in Israel is that they're going to hate us no matter what we do, and that it's just like a, a, a constant of, it's like a universal constant or something. But, you know, just Gaza is, is smaller in area than the borough of Queens, okay? And over 11 days, they attacked like 800 targets or something, huge bombs going off. Now, if you're a kid living in Queens, and that happens for a couple of weeks, and you hear every bomb, and some of them are very close, even if you don't lose a friend or relative or, or have a friend or relative maimed, you're going to grow up, you're going to be traumatized, and you're going to grow up permanently hating whoever's responsible for that. And 
I know some people think, look, they're going to hate him no matter what. I just I just have a different view of the world. And and look, I, don't, I think it's going to be a long time before a lot of Palestinians have kind things to say about Israel. But that's different from the question of whether you could ratchet down the antagonism enough to reach some kind of accommodation that endured. That's um, my thing. How did you survive writing editorials for the New Republic? Um, they didn't ask me to write about Israel often. Uh, <laughs> I remember I wrote a, I wrote my first Israel editorial. Marty liked. I guess I, I, you could just well ask how did Peter Beinart survive? So, oh well, Peter had a. I don't know how Peter was on Israel then, but on foreign policy broadly, he was much further to the right then. You know, he had right. this transformation after the Iraq War. No, it's interesting that this is my other. It's interesting that both Peter and Max Booter together again. Last time, advocating the Iraq War. This time, arguing uh, a, a, a mild anti-Israeli side of, of the. Yeah, I don't know exactly. What's your theory about Max Boot? I haven't read everything. I don't know he's him written. that well enough. But this this last editorial, this last piece he wrote, made me think that he's not just overcome by Trump hatred. He actually has intellectual integrity. So maybe I'm wrong. He always okay. seemed like a nice guy, but I've I've always attacked him for being practically anti-Trump. Um, uh, I have met him. Um, I even had a very awkward conversation with him when I said, "Oh, hi, Ma- hi, Max. We met at a party. I, I attacked. We had an argument last week, and he pointed out correctly." We didn't have an argument. You attacked me, and I didn't respond. <laughs> I think that's his, his standard strategy. <laughs> well, in, in that case, anyway, he was right, and I felt like a fool. Um, so do, what everything else? else? Everything else sort of pales in comparison, but we should go on, I guess. Uh, well, they're going to revisit. Ro- Supreme Court's going to take up Roe versus Wade. There's the January sixth investigation. Right, the, okay, well, I can. The yeah, those are my two. Um, well, it seems to me the the Republicans are are whistling past the graveyard on generally on the um, and we've ta- I've talked about this before, but there's a tie in to what you just said uh, that they think if only they could sideline Trump, okay, they can talk about the issues, everything. The deck is stacked in their favor, and they're going to win the midterms and regain the House. And this is uh, this is Rich Larry wrote a column a, a couple of days ago. Uh, point, uh, arguing the reason for this is despite Trump's grip, he's not front and center for the average voter. He isn't president. He isn't on the ballot anywhere. Republicans aren't going to be running next November on relitigating the 2020 election or January 6th. The focus will inevitably be on Biden and his agenda, which will loom much larger than anything the former president could do for Mar-a-Lago. I just think that's totally wishful thinking. Trump is going to want to make the election about him, even if the Republicans don't want it to be about him. He has the means, the, the the mainstream media will give him all the megaphone he wants to make this all about, yes, he's going to talk about Biden, but he's also going to talk about how the election was stolen from him, uh, and it's going to poison uh, the election for Republicans just the way it poisoned the election in Georgia. Uh, so this is totally whistling past the graveyard, and the gravy on this, the additional thing is, if the Supreme Court takes up abortion, that is good for the Democrats because most people, last time I checked, were pro-choice, not pro-life. So if abortion seems to be on the ballot and Trump is on the ballot, 
it seems to me the Democrats have two very good reasons to turn out, and the Republicans are sort of sort of muddled because why vote an election that Trump says is fixed? They have the same dilemma they had in Georgia, and they're just pretending that it's going to go away. Well, it's not going to go away. It sounds like, I mean, I didn't read this, but it sounds like Rich Lowry is maybe conflating the question of, A, whether the election will be about Trump's past in 2020 and January 6th and everything, and B, whether Trump can successfully insert himself in the election. Those are, those are different questions. I mean, I mean, right? Well, but when he insert, if he inserts himself and just talks about the issues, uh, that'd be great. But he's incapable of doing that. You, he, 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 when is he going to stop talking about the steel? Well, like that's sometime, a good question. Sometime around Christmas, he stops talking about it and just starts talking about uh, the issues. I'm not so sure. So your your uh, your fear is that he will reappear, keep talking about the last election, completely ensure his loss. And uh, right. it's open borders after well, that. Well, and he might, he might. I don't know if it'll be open border. We have open borders now, practically. But it, it, it will, it will, it, it will blow the chance to regain the house, and it'll give us two more years of of a democratic, democratic control of all three branches. Uh, and Biden can do a lot of bad things in those three years. So that's my problem. Maybe it poisons Trump for twenty, you know, for four years out. Maybe voters get sick of him. And he doesn't win the presidential nomination, but it screws the the chance to uh, to stop Biden's bad things. Uh, now, I'm not I'm not that unhappy with Biden in the White House as long as he doesn't get a chance to, you know, pass his agenda through reconciliation bills. Well, you don't like his current immigration policy. I don't like his current immigration policy, right? But it's it's proving very very unpopular, so it's going to end. Sometime at some point, I think it's so unpopular, as you know, that I've said that I predict that he will he will do what uh, the, the punch bowl people call a swerve. He will swerve on immigration, fire Mayorkas and make at least some show of reasserting control of the border. But, yeah, we'll have two million new people in America by then. Yes. Um. So and, and then as for Roe versus Wade, you're saying it would be good for the Democrats if the Supreme Court largely overturned Roe and returned the issue to the states. I think it'd be it'd be good for the Constitution, bad for the Republicans, because that's always been a recipe for Democrats mm. getting out their vote. Yeah, it, seems, they, it seems like it. Wait, wait, what has been a recipe for the Democrats it, getting out? Their, you know, it's now a legislative issue whether we have abortions or not. Democratic voters want to have the right to choice. They will turn out and vote in the Democrats who are going to legislatively give them the right to choice. Now, once it's not a constitutional issue, but is a democracy issue, uh, you know, Democrats win that democratic debate. So wait, I mean, Roe has... They win the debate. Roe has certainly turned out the Republican vote in national elections, right, in presidential elections, but you're saying in in state legislature elections, if the issue's returned... the, The Democrats can stay home, have been able to stay home because they think that the Supreme Court will take care of the issue for them. Uh, now they they won't have that luxury. Abortion will be on the ballot, and they will turn out. Are you talking? Yes, about, it's you're, worked you're for talking Republicans state, before, and now it'll start working for Democrats. You're talking about state legislature elections. Who said it's going to be a state issue? There's going to be bills in Congress on both sides. One that will say abortion should be illegal. The other will say abortion is guaranteed. And it's not a state issue. It's a national issue. But if the filibuster survives, nothing will happen, right? That we're talking about turning out the vote. We're not talking about actually passing laws. 
And you're hoping certain, nobody certain will tell will them, and, and you're assuming nobody will tell the voters that the filibuster means nothing's going to happen. Well, they they'll turn out to vote in their on their local election, and while they're at it, they'll vote for the you know the Democratic candidate for Congress. I mean, it's I guarantee you, Democrats have awaited. See, I was thinking about it. The I was thinking the reason it's good for the Democrats is because uh, the desire to overturn Roe has led Republicans to turn out for presidential elections and 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 to care a lot and to want a Republican and and that that. That will lessen L-E-S-S-E-N once uh, Roe is overturned. Well, that too. They're both both factors are pushing in the same direction, which is so it increases if the Supreme Court takes yeah. up abortion. It helps the Democrats. OK, I hope you're you're right. If indeed they and it seems like this court is sure to at least clip the wings of Roe, if not overturn it. Right. Yes, I I. The betting would have to be on the wing clipping as opposed to the overturning, uh, full overturning. But you never know. I mean, I don't know. Brings um, us back to the cicadas. What I want to know is, like, why are they crawling th- up these trees? They have wings. I, you know, somebody should the, tell them they have wings. Are the cicadas in the house, Bob? Are they No, they're not. The house? They don't move very fast. I mean, that's the point. Why aren't they? They have wings. What do they do with these wings if they're just going to crawl up the tree trunk? So, like, that's like the Supreme Court not overruling Roe. They don't move fast enough, even and though maybe they have we can, wings. Maybe we can take the non turn the non-binary cicada into a metaphor for one part of American politics. Right. And then, yes, exactly. Proceed. How is this going to work <laughs> no, out as a metaphor like, for American politics? People should people the, the the court should recognize. I think it's a it's a case of the Republicans charging that. The Supreme Court is just like the cicadas. You could fly, but you don't. Yeah. What's the matter with you, cicadas? You've got wings. They could take over. They could get in your house and drive you out. This is beautiful. You are. You should run for governor of California. <laughs> um, did you? I, I. You seem to have gotten a haircut. I mean, I your did. hair has gotten it? shorter both of the last two weeks. It went from long and lustrous last week to pretty short. But clearly, you've gotten an actual haircut since last week. Am I correct? Yeah, I got a haircut. Okay. Is this trend so, going to continue like every week you're going to have less hair? Probably. <laughs> I say return to long and lustrous. That was a beautiful thing, Mickey. That was a beautiful thing. I I discovered the secret to me looking good, Bob, and maybe I'll reveal it in the parrot room. It's nothing. Ooh, ooh. You talk nothing, about your Patreon bait. Nothing that nothing anybody who cares about the issues will want to talk about. Um. So, other than that, Biden is going for the 1970s trifecta. High crime, high inflation, and welfare. Okay? those That was not a winning trifecta for the Democrats. And I think he will realize that, and I assure you Bruce Reed, who works for him, realizes that. And I suspect there will be a course correction. Yeah, the inflation thing is getting a lot of play lately. Uh, uh we were talking yeah, about I, it weeks weeks ago. We're ahead yeah, of the curve. I, and there've been a, there were a couple of good columns. Martin Wolf in the Financial Times speaks with authority on the subject. Uh, he thinks mainly the Fed is out of control, but I guess uh, you know if you. I didn't realize that modern monetary theory, as he describes it, thinks that fiscal policy is the solution for inflation. Well, if that's true, you don't want to have Biden's budget running. You know, spending four trillion. Oh, obviously on the deficit. I mean, they're not going to fund it. They're not going to pass, so, pass the tax increases. So that whatever Biden spends is going to be 
added to the deficit. Wait, so you're saying that modern monetary theory, which I have never figured out, they're saying, they say open the spigot, the Fed should open the spigots on the money supply, but you have a conservative fiscal policy or at least a strict responsible fiscal policy? As described by Martin Wolf, it's the the only constraint on the Fed opening the spigots is the fear of inflation, and we should handle inflation by fiscal policy. Well, that's probably him talking about that part more than the modern monetary theorists, right? I don't know. He's, he ascribes it to them. Hmm. Uh, but uh, he's, I, really, I met him. He's a good guy. Yeah. But anyway, there and, you know, Lawrence Summers is obviously out there and he, I sense he's getting some traction with his uh, inflation a, scares, attack, inflation scare tactics. Yes. He may be right. It's uh, worth thinking about. I mean, we we've we've uh, uh, we got some pretty serious deficit my, spending going on. But my, there are. And it looks like Biden is not going to be able to, uh, as part of, I guess, what? It would be the infrastructure bill that in theory would have him raising uh, taxes to pay for it. But the Republicans, Republicans aren't going to let him. chickening out. The Democrats are chickening out, too. This so is, it's, it's such bullshit. Um, they, it, if, 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 the, the, the pay-fors are not going to happen. The I always thought there was we shouldn't worry about inflation. And I think Krugman obviously talked about this when he predicted no inflation is the wage price spiral depends on labor power, especially union power, to drive it. There is no more union power. So we're not going to have a wage price spiral the way we had in the 70s when unions would leapfrog 20% increase, 21% increase, 24% increase. I mean, that's not going to happen. Plus, Biden is has a semi-open borders policy and wage-lowering immigrants are flooding into the country. So we're not going to have a wage price spiral there. But what about all these people so, who will be staying at home rather than working, as you fear, because of their child tax credits or whatever? And this will bid wages up because there will be a shortage of workers. Well, there's there's that, and, and also uh, there are also the unemployment benefits, which people I think believe Jason Furman, who you know, used to work for. Right I don't. For I don't. I don't know. You know him. He, he, I think he is. Uh, a Summers-like advocate for maybe the unemployment uh, benefits are so generous that they're reducing labor supply. But they expire in September. Hmm. Uh, but uh, so um, the answer is they expire in September. And the uh, and the uh, the it's weird. Matt Bruning had a column fairly convincing that uh, the IRS is so inefficient at getting out the child pay- payment that I worry about is going to be welfare for an underclass that it's not going to reach the underclass anyway. So it's sort of it's not, not going to produce it's not going to produce the bad effects that I fear or the good effects that he wants because it's not going to reach non-working families because they're sort of off the grid. They're mm. out of the IRS's uh the IRS doesn't really have a good way of reaching them with this money. Well, maybe it will develop one in response to his writing. Maybe that's maybe what it he has will, in or mind. Maybe he wants to transfer it to the Social Security Administration which apparently has more efficient means of dispensing money. Um Anyway, I, you're right. That could be a factor in the pro-inflation direction. Another mark against it. Quite so. Um, so what else is uh, what else is happening? We, we have the, uh, the January sixth commission. Yeah. So my take on that is, I mean, I gotta say, I don't think there's a super pressing need for one. I mean, it looks like we're not going to get. 
the kind that the Democrats would like, right, with the support of the Senate and so on. I mean, the House can have their own little investigation, but we can't have the full on. I think they have a little bit of a shot at getting through the Senate, but it's fading rapidly. Most My, people say it's not going to get through the Senate because McConnell came out against it. So they're not going to get 10 Republican votes and it's not subject to reconciliation. So it doesn't get through. Here is my feeling. Uh, we don't really need an investor. If you're talking about actually learning stuff, I mean, there's two sets of stuff. There's like learning why the police were unprepared. What happened right. there? If you want to have that kind of investigation on that side, you can get bipartisan support. That's not a problem. If that's what you want to do. A. As for the other side, like what happened with the insurrection itself, it seems to me we have a pretty good idea. And the one part of the puzzle I feel I don't really know, which is like how much actual advanced organized kind of conspiring was done by groups like whatever the Oath Keepers or Proud Boys, we will discover that when the prosecutions happen, because that's a whole tranche of prosecutions is is those, you know, the conspiracy part. That will come to light. So, and I think I understand the rest of what happened. And so I don't know what... I don't understand it. I you don't, don't I understand don't, the rest of what happened? I, I don't know. I don't know. What was going on in Trump's mind when he sent those people to the ellipse? I well, don't that, know. We'll never know. We're not going to learn that no, in the investigation. No, their witnesses and their emails and their texts. We will know... We, we If we have hmm. subpoena power, we can know more. And that's that's... Sort of the crucial issue, and then what was going through his mind when he failed to call them off for a while? Uh, was he was he such an idiot that he really thought they were going to elect him president, or did he think, well, this will be a good show, and I love theater? Uh, I don't know. Or, or I, I don't think it's just the theater thing. I think there's something wrong with his brain. Um, well, but you're he, right; it would be good, like if they could subpoena people who were with him. Like, as he tweeted the Mike Pence tweet, and they could say, well, he was watching Fox News. We know exactly what he saw as he was tweeting. I would love to know that. Yeah, I, I want to know what he thought before he gave the speech. I mean, Well, you know, I think that's hard, but... Uh, the, what, there are texts and emails for that, too. I what, mean, well, you, th I wanna... you think there are texts where he says, here's what I'm thinking about what I'm going to say. Come on. He doesn't even think before he talks. Well, if he... he he he's a loquacious guy. I would I would think there would be witnesses more for that. But that's not going to come out in the trials. And the other thing is with the with the demonstrators, I want to know sort of they left their guns at home. OK, if you're really plotting a revolution, you don't leave your guns at home. So what were they going to do? What what did they think was going to happen if they saw Nancy Pelosi? Were they going to kill her? Were they going to back off the way some of them did in the House? Would they, were they just would they not have known what to do because they had no conception that they were going to succeed as, as wildly as they did? Uh, uh, I assume there's a spectrum, and some thought they were going to change yeah. the result, and some thought they weren't. But I want to know what the spectrum is and who was on what side. And you know, the video of the Proud Boys, uh, you know, taking you know marching up the hill to the Capitol that was very useful because it proved that they did have a plan to get into the Capitol. It involved a certain amount of violence to get mm -hmm. past the guards. But it was not clear what they wanted to do once they were there. Uh, the, so uh, I want to know. I mean, I, I think we don't know that there weren't guns in the Capitol because they let everybody leave without searching them. But I take your point. They only they, turned they, up one. They only turned it, up one. 
Yeah, but they didn't search anybody. Now, I take your but point they, that it wasn't I, some kind of traditional armed insurrection. I guarantee That's, you the email said, "Leave, we're leaving our guns at home. Oh, oh really? I, that, I, was I, the, sure. that was the agreement. I'm pretty sure, yeah. yeah. But different groups may be different. Maybe some of them actually had guns, but... Uh, no, I, all, think, all, I think they, I think their goal was to actually bring the process to a halt. The goal of some of them actually right, bring but was that ju- was that justice theater because it obviously wasn't going to halt the process permanently. Oh, who knows what they thought? Who knows what they thought would happen next? I, I think, I mean, honestly, you listen. I was listening to the Bannon podcast at the time, and it was like all things are possible. He was never giving up. I mean, it's, it seems a lot like it, it seems that this is a bad analogy. Maybe, but it seems a lot like, uh, you know, uh, jihadists who strike a blow for jihad and you say, what does this accomplish? It just sort of killed a bunch of people. And yes, but it's, it's, it's somehow important for them to strike this blow for the cause in, in some sort of, uh, symbolic or, uh, almost quasi religious way. Uh, and, and they sort of were striking a blow, but they didn't really care. I mean, and after the blow was struck, they were to declare victory, whatever happened. Right. Uh, and, and, and so they've done that. No, often there's just a kind of faith, you know, you, you take your stand at every point and the long run goal is transformative and revolutionary, but the, it's kind of an act of faith. Now, but, I mean, honestly, some of these QAnon people, like, you know, the woman who was shot and killed, I mean, right. she was a true QAnoner, and I think some of these people thought a miracle was going to happen. I mean, that's the way they were. That's right. the way she was writing in right. advance. Dark into light, it happens right. tomorrow. I mean, they right. were expecting like divine intervention right. or something. Right, and it's like um, uh, at the other extreme, there somebody who turned up on uh, one of my friends' feeds saying it was a, just a meme generating event. They just wanted to generate a lot of sort of. Uh, Pictures of them carrying the speaker's, you know, podium and sitting in Nancy Pelosi's chair and spread it over the Internet and then declare success, go home and have a great time. Uh, that would be the most innocent explanation. I think that's a little too innocent. But uh, I think there different may be people, some, there may different be some people who thought of it that way. Yeah. No, I think there and, were all kinds of different motivations. And also and a the lot vast of people was, just wandered in. The vast. Yeah. And the vast majority didn't even wander in. They stayed on the mall. So, um you know, what they thought was we're just having a protest and we're, you know, we're yelling and screaming at the top of our lungs that this is unfair. Um, and I guess some of them may have hoped that Mike Pence would change his mind. Although, and, you know, did Trump really think that Pence changing his mind was going to give him the presidency? I mean, I how think, crazy was he? I think Trump I is kind of crazy. I, I really think there's something wrong with his brain. Yeah. Well, I, I want to know all those things. And it seems to me... uh I don't think the trials are going to give that, but I tell us. But I also I've given up the idea that this would not be completely politicized the way the nine eleven commission was, and uh, and would be the Republicans have a reason to oppose it. Otherwise, they have no reason to oppose it. Yeah, well, I I actually am revising my position a little. You're right. The one kind of information we we might be able to get to, that we won't get without an investigation is information surrounding Trump. And and some information illuminating his state I mean, of mind. The left has all prejudged it. They said, you know, a violent insurrection intent on overthrowing our government happened and the Republicans don't want to investigate. No, that's what we're supposed to find out. Was it a violent insurrection intending to overthrow? the Don't prejudge it. And uh, that's just a way to, to turn anybody off of an inquest. You have to at least 
leave your mind open to the possibility that it wasn't a violent insurrection intending to overthrow the government. Now, they call themselves insurrectionists. They call themselves, they said the revolution has begun. That's some evidence that they were insurrectionists, but they could also just have been deluded fools who were posing as insurrectionists. We don't know. Yeah. Anyway. I, I I would I I'm I'm still on the fence. I don't know which way I would vote if I were in the Senate. Oh, I think I would vote for it to have that. I guess I would. I mean, I worry that it it could wind up being an unfortunate thing just politically, uh, just for the country. I mean, we just don't. I mean, yeah, in terms but, of divisiveness, but I think it's yeah. it would be good for the Democrats probably. Uh, maybe and it's, uh, who it's knows? Gonna, it, you know, it, it would coax Trump to. Even more to do what I think he's going to do anyway, which is make the election all about himself. Right. So he which would might respond be good for the Democrats. That would but... happen. That would happen like as the campaign was starting. Trump would be all over the airwaves. The election would be Trumpified. So you're worried about the effect of Trump, uh, Trump's insertion into the process on the midterm elections. I've yes. been thinking mainly like, will he run for president and blah, blah, blah. You're worried about. No, I think he's he'll probably be. Finished by the time he runs for president, but he's, he could easily screw up the midterms for Republicans, and uh, and people are just ludicrously discounting that process. Uh, you know, they think, well, it's going to be a local election. Well, the midterms are always nationalized; they haven't been local for decades. And oh, well, the, well, what will count will be the TV ads run by the candidates, the local candidates, and they're going to stress, you know, the border and woke issues and crime. Well, but TV ads are less important than they used to be, I and mean, that's the the upshot of a lot of the research into the last election was TV spending didn't matter that much. Uh, it, so it's obviously going to be nationalized, and it's going to be nationalized in a way the local candidates are not going to be able to counteract, and that's real trouble for Republicans. Her- Harry Shear made a good point in my Twitter feed, which is on the on the terms of Trump and the actual presidential election in three or three and a half years. There's so many Republicans with so many ambitions. They're not going to hold off for Trump, uh, you know, for another four years. So somebody's going to make a run at him, uh, and that it, it will probably be sort of more successful than expected. So they'll make a run starting when? When will we know who's making a run at? Well, it starts the day after midterms. The day after midterms. Yeah. And who will it, it be? Probably starts. Probably starts a little before that too. Who will it be? Nikki Haley. Well, I she may be disabused of it. DeSantis would be would be a logical person. Uh, Tom Cotton would be a logical person. Matt Gates, uh, right? Kidding. Matt Gates, Bill Kidding. Gates, Bill Gates, C- Caitlyn Jenner. Everybody. This is an here. excellent transition to the parrot room, Mickey. We have been oh. recording for well over. We're like we're at like an hour and I don't know seven eight minutes. So well, um, there's there's that article in the New Republic that it. Attempted to tie Matt Gates and Bill Gates together. We can talk about that in the parrot room if you we want. We can. And there have been genuine Bill Gates. There have been a little bit in the way of Bill Gates developments. No, no, that we can. We can. We're 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 running in overtime right now. We can. We we can we, talk about. Uh, um, oh, I have a beef with you about this McKay Coppins thing. So. We can talk about that in the parrot room. He's a perfectly nice man. Okay, I'm that's our beef. He, I'm not saying he isn't. We'll get to it. Don't leave it in the. Uh, so what else? Pe- people have to pay for that sort of venom, Bob. Uh, what else can we talk about in the parrot room? Um, you, you know, we both did make a little bit of a appearance. You know, the Slate Slow Burn podcast 
did a, a publicly accessible episode of the podcast that had some highlights of the bonus content podcast that you and I are in. And we both, we were two of the only three people who made an appearance. Really? And when I tell you I in the parrot room. I tried to say nothing. I, that's the funny thing. You only said like <laughs> one thing. And when I tell you how kind of it comes off, I don't think you're going to be happy. It comes off as what? Mickey, they don't get no. that for free. Okay. They don't get to see okay. you crushed. Okay. They don't get to see you start weeping okay. for free. Okay. okay. Um, uh, what do I have down here? I have, I have never seen a story about Kamala Harris's staff that doesn't leave me completely unimpressed. Uh, there was a recent story about the, the she's been appointed czar of the border. She hasn't gone to the border. She spends her time talking about the use of cryptocurrency in Latin America, convening a Zoom meeting, and they think <laughs> attacks on her are obviously racist. Okay, anybody who has a, who's a staff who seriously thinks that is doomed. Uh, are we going to talk about have, that further in the parrot room? Is that what you're saying, or have you said pretty no, much no, exhausted said unless, your you of wisdom? unless you want to contradict? No, me. but I have a question. So she is saying that crypt she, that Latin America needs cryptocurrency or more of it. What is they she? Need, why they, is she getting need a, It's a way. It's a way of getting aid to the small entrepreneurs around the central authorities. That's mm-hmm. the theory. Uh, it's like it's like microbanks. So she's not advocating access to cryptocurrency for drug cartels. I don't think explicitly, but you know, but you never that know. Could be the effect that could be. She's she's arguing for a Grameen bank sort of thing done done electronically. I think. Okay. Um, so we could, okay, we could talk so, about the UFOs. Yeah, let's talk a little about the UFOs. I mean, the UFOs, if the UFOs are here, why is the reaction of Tucker Carlson that we, the Defense Department has to be ready to attack them? They're ten, they're a thousand years ahead of us in technology. We're not, it seems a very yeah, foolish no. strategy to attack them. Plus, maybe they have the secret to eternal life. Maybe we should get that from them before to we attack them. To serve man, to serve man. Or maybe I- they're going to treat us as pets and eat us. I don't know. I, for one, welcome our alien overlords. Okay, we can talk about UFOs. Uh, we we can talk, to... We're talking about uh, slow burn. Oh, I have a, <clears throat> an interesting theory about the why the uh, number of COVID deaths per day is not declining more rapidly than it is. Um, it's a good theory. Okay. It's a good theory. In, it, in fact, I don't know if I should even save it for the parrot room. Don't save it for the parrot room. The okay. COVID, COVID is a COVID is important. No, it's just like we should make COVID content free, like all these big media outfits. So here's casual inspection leads me to think if you compare the the graph of per capita decline in case numbers and per capita decline in deaths, it seems like we're not seeing the usual kind of you know three week echo effect of the of the death rate doing uh, what the what the case rate did three weeks ago and and. You would expect it to be declining a little faster than it's declining uh, the death rate. And here's my theory. Now that everyone who wants to get uh, vaccinated just about has been vaccinated, the kinds of people getting COVID are the kinds of people who choose not to be vaccinated. Well, they tend to be lower income, less educated, and I would submit the kind of people who get less good health care. They're not you know, they're not getting the Regeneron or whatever if they get COVID or they're less likely to get it. So I think they're probably now that people get COVID are getting less, on average, less good care than they were getting uh, three months ago. Does that make sense? There, makes sense. It, it makes a certain amount of sense, I think. But there's um, 
they were getting it three months ago when there were no hospital beds. Now there are plenty of hospital beds for them. So they should still, be getting, uh, right, they should be getting much not, better medical care than they were three months ago. Well, you would think. And, what, but I mean, and also, they're, then, they're also the sort of people who would already have gotten the virus a long time ago. You know, the most the most irresponsible people are the the most people that have the least access to good health advice and good practices. People who have to go to work every day, they already got it. You, you know? called so them irresponsible, not me. Anyway, that's my. Well, uh, they're irresponsible as a subcategory. A sub. There are some irresponsible people. They're a subcategory of of this group you're talking about. That's my theory. I should say the last couple of days, the seven month rolling average of deaths has dropped pretty appreciably. We're now down at 550, which is uh, the lowest we've seen since last year. In California, July. it's the, the mirror effect, is the echo effect is sort of still intact, I think. The okay. death rate is, is going down. I mean, it's going down. Um, it's just it's just more slowly. Than I'm just not at all convinced that we're over it and we're like never going to have to go in lockdown again. It seems to be obvious we're going to have to go in lockdown again. Well, I think it depends so, on how, how many people we can convince to get vaccinated, A, and B, whether a variant arises that's, uh, that, that, that the vaccines don't certainly handle. Certainly, Bi- Biden's gimmick of if you get masked, you don't have to – if you get the vaccine, you don't have to wear a mask. I don't think that's really worked. Do you think that's provoked a huge surge of vaccinations? No, I, I just – I think I, – uh, no, I think the messaging has not been great. I think uh, I, I'd say I, I still say get a vax, get free beer. Well, there's that. I think, I think they should start at some point winner. emphasizing. I think there are people who genuinely don't think about the fact that it's not just for you. It's for other people. I think most people care about other people. I mean, other people in their community, other, you know, people in their family. But they've already got back vax. We want the people who want free beer. I I don't subscribe to your stereotypes. I, 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 so wait, stereotype. There was a promotion that did it, and it was three times as effective as their other promotions. Free beer. Well, New yeah. Jersey. I think in I live in a state, I believe, where you get a free beer. I I I got my so, vaccine too so fast. You got a. I think you got a lotto card too in some states, maybe hmm. New Jersey. Um, well, and where is that, it? Where is it that they're I'd giving away? I'd much rather away? encourage beer drinking than playing the lotto. I'd rather – why not both, I say. This is yeah, why okay. I should run for office. You know why, Mickey? Because I say, why not both? Some people ask why. Bob asks, why not I both? I look to the future and say, why not both? Um, so are, should we talk about Charles Grodin in the in the parrot room or do you have a view? He died, you know. I have a view. Okay. Uh, yes, we'll talk we can about talk him. about it in the parrot room. Um, let's see. I, I don't have much of a view, but I figured you would. Uh Oh, I promised to talk about the bait base camp last week and failed. Uh, I don't know much, but it's worth noting. Um, oh, we're going to talk the mo- our movie club, our first uh, our first official right. convening in the movie club. We've got club. more than talk, enough to talk about in the bedroom. Talk about a face in the crowd, which we both – you did watch the rest of it, I hope? Yes. Okay. Um, we're talking about that movie, that supposedly prescient movie. Um, uh Oh, I'm going to ask about a Jonathan Chait tweet. Um, That's always exciting. This is actually that's like free beer. If you if we offered a Jonathan Chait tweet for everybody who gets the vaccine, our problems would be solved. It just so happens that well, it's a long story. Um, Oh wait, 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 wait! We were missing a big a big issue. What the free scandal? The the um, F R E E H. The the a British paper allegedly based on the what's in Hunter Biden's laptop 
Louis B. Louis Louis Free uh, giving a hundred thousand dollars to Biden, a fund for Biden's grandchildren, in an attempt to curry favor with Biden, and also offering Hunter Biden a job. So this is like completely corrupt. This 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 fund for this fund for um, if it's true, it may not be true, but you know. You know what's somebody funny? direct somebody directed free, you know, if you really want to curry favor with Biden, give money to his grandchildren. This is money that Biden doesn't have to give himself. It's like it's it's in effect going into Biden's pocket. A hundred K totally to corrupt. You know what's funny? So did Clinton appoint free head of the FBI? I think so, yeah. Okay. I remember like in the nineties when I first saw Free Speak impromptu and I want to say this in a gentle way that doesn't seem derogatory, but he didn't seem very smart. And did I succeed in, in doing that gently? Gently, yes. He very didn't gentle. seem very smart. And I remember wondering at the time, like, okay, wait a second. What's going on? How did this guy, like, does he have something on Clinton or what? I mean, I really went through this whole thought process. Like, how did he wind up getting appointed? He, FBI, is it is it that he will keep Clinton's secrets for him or what? Even honorable people wind up doing corrupt things when they get in the private sector. Look at Steve Ratner. When he goes into the pension business, he decides, gee, I should buy the film of the brother of the guy who's going to send the state pension money my way. Uh, uh, and, and he correctly thought that this is how the game is played. That's what everybody who's finagling for pension dollars does it. But, yeah. you know, but he's Steve Ratner. He's supposed to have a higher standard. So uh, a lot of people who have high standards find that they sort of disappear once they have to compete against people with lower standards in the well, private I mean, influence look, peddling sector. I mean, I might as well admit this. I've never said this publicly, but I considered giving money to your Senate campaign in hopes that you would come on my podcast someday. Um, I thought about it. I finally rejected it because I realized I actually didn't want you to come on my podcast. But still, you, I thought I thought it was the you, kind of thing I would have been in principle willing to do. You didn't uh, give me money? Not that I recall. But okay, well, are we it. ever let's making go. up for it? With- let's go to the parrot room. This is over. Yeah, where you where, where you get a pretty pretty decent cut, I might add. Uh, but uh, we digress. Okay, so we're going to the parrot room. The parrot has spoken. See you there. Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'll spend the uh, intervening half hour uh, reading up on my automotive reliability ratings. That'll, anyway. that'll bring him into the parrot room. Okay, we'll, we'll see you there. Okay, see you later.